And welcome to the big kickoff. It's the 8th of June, and I'm joined by David Bugle. All right, Dave? Monge too, Rodders. <laughs> Nathan Doyle from the big kickoff. Evening, Nathan. Hey, gents. And of course, Peter Moore from across the water in the UK. Hello, Peter. I'm very well, Roy. Good evening. Great stuff. Listen, there's only one place to start, and that's with the announcement of Conor McGregor. He's retired <laughs> with immediate effect from the MMA and the UFC. Now, some people are a bit sceptical. Seems this is the third time in four years to retire. So, Nathan, is this truly the final retirement in his fighting life? I must say I fall into the category of some people. I am very sceptical. Like I said, he's told the time into four years. Um, the reason being, according to the man himself, is that there's nothing foreign and that the UFC have never really got the ball rolling on anything that was presented to him. Which, for me, is pretty strange. There's a lot of options for him at the moment. You have the Khabib rematch, that trilogy fight with Nate Diaz is there. Tony Ferguson still around, Justin Gage, he just became into a champion. There's also the fight with Anderson Silva, a catchweight being thrown around every now and again. So the fact that he's came out now and said there's nothing for him, for me, is pretty strange. So I am pretty sceptical, mm. I must say. Yeah, Nathan, I wrote on the bigkickoff.com the morning he um, he announced his retirement. I kind of put it down to the fact that maybe he's not getting the money and maybe not getting the fights that he, he really wants. It's not necessarily a decision based on my career's finished, I'm old and I have to bail out when I need to. No, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say, and I would go along with that one too. Like, he's only 31, which it's like in the, the game of martial arts, that's pretty young, you know, there's still a lot of years left in him. And recently, he's not the only one. We had people like John Jones coming out, Jorge Masvidal has come out. They've all come out and complained about the, uh, the pay situation at the moment in the UFC. So it well could be something that falls under that category. And we all know McGregor is a man for money. That's the only reason he does this. So it really could be like, especially at the start of the year, he said that 2020 was going to be his season, his comeback season, with potentially fighting three or four times. But the fact that now, all of a sudden, that's had to change, and I think it really could fall down to the category of money and not the fights that he wants. Like his last fight was back in January against Donald Cowboy Cerrone. No respect to Cowboy. I actually really am a big Cowboy fan. But... It wouldn't have been the fight he'd be after, I say. I think at that stage he would have wanted that could be a rematch, like we said, for the for the title, rather than fighting um Cowboy Cerrone in more of a throwaway fight, really. Yeah. How how does this leave the UFC with with three fighters calling it a day so quickly? I think it leaves them in an awkward situation because the three fighters that we've mentioned, they're not three nobodies. Uh, John Jones mm. is probably in my opinion, he's the best pound by pound fighter in the world at the moment. Jorge Masvidal is probably the hottest commodity at the moment. He's risen up the ranks and he's risen in popular, uh, popularity this year unbelievably. And obviously, we all know Conor McGregor. Like Conor McGregor and the UFC are synonymous together now at this stage. He's brought in the fan base, like, he's spiked the fan base like no end completely. Like, he really has piqued the interest of so many people. But just the character and just like the man that he is in the cage. So to lose them three, if they do lose them three, is is pretty like it's a big loss for the UFC, I must say. Now, like 
didn't have it now to go under. Like, they're too big to go under now at this stage. We have them three leaving on top of uh, Henry Cejudo, who retired a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the weird time for the UFC at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Peter, how is Conor McGregor viewed over in the UK? Um, to be honest with you, Roy, we, I wouldn't say there's a massive following in this country, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, there's virtually only a small minority, but having said that, he is, for that small minority, a cult figure. I think he's always been viewed that way, to be honest with you, Roy. Um, so, to answer your question, um, the, the minority that do follow the sport, and I, I think um, the, the percentage of them are in the majority, what probably you guys are saying, that this retirement business, yeah, we've heard it all before. <laughs> Is this yeah. going to be his yeah. finale? Or would he start making a uh, another comeback, so to speak? So um, I think if, if I if I did a poll of the, the experts over here, I'm pretty certain that they would actually turn around and say that yes, um, <clears throat> yeah, okay, fine, um, give it a I don't know, a couple of months or so, or whatever, and all of a sudden we will have a reappearance from the man of the world. Yeah, he's like uh, the Rolling Stones of the MMA world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave, if if it actually is, and not many people are believing it is, but if it actually is the end of his fighting career, he had 26 fights, 22 wins, four losses. His wins came from 19 knockouts, one submission and two by decision. His four losses came by submission, which shows the, the, the bit of weakness that was in his game. Since Aldo's victory... He's had five fight, five fights in five years, which at the peak of his powers is a strange thing. But again, of course, he went and made that big money move, which is pre- fairly clever in all fairness with Floyd Mayweather. Has he wasted an opportunity to become one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time, do you think, Dave? Uh, there's a very strong argument for that, all right, because he'll definitely go down as probably the most famous, that's for sure. But in relation to the greatest, uh, I, I'd rather use a different word, but yeah, there would be an asterisk <laughs> beside it. <laughs> um, because, yeah, he was in the peak of his powers and what he did with, against Aldo was truly spectacular, as we all know. And then you're waiting for, like you, you, you could hear the door being smashed open to what else he could go into. And obviously he took the money move and set himself up and I have no issue with that. But then since that fight, as we've talked about, it's been very strange. And obviously the sound bites he said at the start of the year, three, he, he kind of had three fights laid out. He's really going to solidify himself. And I think he knew it himself. He probably needed to get a couple of more fights in and tick a few boxes to really leave the game and say, yeah, I, I, I can quite comfortably sit here on top of the pile. Is he the biggest moneymaker? Yes. Is he the most famous? Yes. Is he the best? I would put him up there, but not necessarily at the, at the top. Um, am I sceptical as well, 100%, but the only thing I'll say on that matter is uh, Dana White was on uh, um, a kind of talk to talk, it's called Eddie Hearn and Tony Bellew have uh, a podcast and they had Dana White on last week and they mentioned him um, and he didn't really have any short-term plans for him. He very much wanted Gagey to take on Khabib and then he fought the winner of that. So that's months away. So there might be a little bit of credibility to some of what, what McGregor has said, but it could be very much, oh, 
he doesn't have any plans for me, but he soon will if, the, if he thinks I'm leaving. So maybe, who's to say? And I think one thing we haven't mentioned as well is that um, his whiskey, like, he's making money with that hand over yeah. fist, like. Yeah. So he really, like, it's not like uh, short of, the mon- of money. Like, he could really yeah. walk away now and be set up for life and be fine and continue to make money. Yeah. And he can go into your wrestlings, he could go into movies, he could do, like, he, he's not, he can easily kind of re, rebrand himself without a shadow of a doubt, but... Like, he's not like, he's not like uh, punch drunk, like, he's not like, he's yeah. still like a good looking guy, he can still speak, you know, he can go into all these movies, TV shows, Underwolf, mm. whatever, you know, there's plenty of options for him if he does decide to really step away. But we don't believe him. Okay, that's all of it. Nathan, UFC 250 was on. Can you give us a quick run through? Yeah, I'll just give a quick run through of the main card now. Um, it took place in the UFC Apex Center, which is uh, in Las Vegas. It was originally meant to take place in Sao Paulo, but obviously, with COVID-19, that put a stop. Before I do run through the main card, I just want to give a quick little mention to one of the fights in the prelims, if you don't mind that. Yeah. Between uh, Cody Stamen, uh, he beat Brian Kelleher by a decision. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, Cody's 18-year-old brother uh, passed away tragically uh, on fight week. So, like, a serious, like, serious credit to Cody to step into that cage uh, the way he did. And honestly, probably one of the best performances of his career. And just a major props for doing that. Just wanted to bring that up before we got into things. Uh, we started off the main card on, uh, in the Bantamweight division. It was actually a pretty big night for the Bantamweight division, which we will see. Uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley uh, KO'd Eddie Wineland in the first round. Uh, obviously, with that name, O'Malley is of Irish descent. He's not Irish, he's American, but there's an Irish guy. And it was uh, O'Malley of the 12 and 1. Now he's a professional. So it was pretty good, entertaining uh, fight. And I thought it was going to be the knockout of the night, but it wasn't, which we'll get to. Um, <laughs> Second, uh, suspense. Eh? Second is uh, the welterweight division. We go into uh, Neil Magny defeated um, Anthony Rocco Martin by decision. Not much really on this one now. It was a pretty close fight. Fun fight. Um, Anthony Martin came out the more, more the aggressor, but he entered his gas tank pretty quickly. And as the fight went on, Neil Magny just sort of stepped it up and stepped it up and stepped it up a bit more. And yeah, he just, he, he grinds out a good decision win. So now we get on to the two big bantamweight fights of the evening. Uh, the first one was against Aljamain Sterling against Corby Sandhager. This really could have been for the, the vacant bantamweight title, in my opinion, which we mentioned champion Sahura retired recently. Uh, both the lads came in on a five to one winning streak in the company. So it was one of the more anticipated fights on the card. But Aljamain Sterling came out with the performance of the night for me. He was so aggressive, just so eager, just so sharp, just looked fantastic. And he got a submission win only one and a half minutes into the fight. Like, really looked fantastic. Sure, he's next in line for that title shot, wherever that may be. In the coming event, once again, in the Bantamweight division, uh, Cody Garbrandt knocked out Rafael Asensio. Uh, this is the one I'm talking about as a knockout of the night. I'm sure, Dave, you've probably seen it yourself, mate. If you haven't, lads, go out and have a look at this. Good God, this is a haymaker. It was right on the buzzer of the second round. Beautiful knockout. Just got nice and low and just leaped up. Oh, my God. It was an assault. Crazy. Well, Cody looked good. Cody looked, he came into this fight and, uh, after three back-to-back defeats. And he, he sort of knew he had to change up his coaching staff. He had a bit of a reputation for getting emotional in fights and getting over eager. 
and putting himself in positions that can be dangerous and he's got caught being turned the rope. But you can see the change in coaching really paid off in this fight. He was much more calm, much more collective, but he still had that speed about him and he still had that, that laser-sharp focus, which Cody Garbrandt is known for in his striking. So we move on then to the last one, the main event. It's for the UFC Women's Featherweight title between Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer. Uh, not much really on this one. It was a five-round beatdown um, by Nunes on Spencer. She retained the title. Um, Spencer, was, she was tough. She hung in there. This fight could have been stopped at any time. Uh, probably shouldn't have really went to the five rounds, to be honest. I think corner man or the referee could have stepped in at any stage. But fair play to Spencer. She hung in there well. But uh, now it's just a case of what's next for Nunes. There's nobody really around. It looked like it's a viable contender. And she just looks unstoppable at the moment. That's she really does. Yeah. yeah, no, I'd seen I seen I didn't get to see the whole thing. It would be too late for me, Nathan, but I do get to see the <laughs> the, the highlights the next day. So I seen the knockouts. Uh, and you're right, it, uh, unbelievable knockouts. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure he's still up now. You know, it, it was, oh, it was, and he, even like, especially in the Garbrandt fight, he put him up and he put him on the still, and even he was on the still, he was falling off. It's like, oh my god, poor guy. <laughs> Anyhow, good again. Part of the live sport that's back, and they uh, they set the way uh, a couple of weeks ago. So that's great to see. Uh, just a little bit of breaking news coming through. The mm-hmm. FA is discussing proposals to move the summer transfer window to August until October. So, okay. Dave, what do you think of that? Um, it, Jesus, yeah, pick up the spot quick. Um, yeah, I suppose you'd have to agree because it kind of, it will get rid of the potential of some of the guys who are out of contract to not, I'm not going to bother coming back to play or I'm not going to whatever. At least they can, Clubs can easily agree, look, we'll pay you for an extra month or two, and then you're good to go. So it probably makes the most sense if, in theory, if all goes well, the league will be finished by the end of July. So it's just a case of paying the guys who are coming up to the end of their contract for another two months. It's not going to be too much of a problem. And then it just makes it nice and clean. The season's over. Guys can move on then to the next club, and they're not kind of leaving a bad taste in the mouth for, for the club they're leaving, or even for potentially the clubs who want to take them. Yeah, it just it just will it will be the transfer window will be on during this next season. So I'm well yeah. I'm well in least though. Yeah, and yeah. That'll be an interesting side of things as well. But it's nothing that hasn't been done before, so I'm sure no. there won't be much of a problem. Uh Peter, we go into transfer talk. Uh any news? Well, the big news is a certain uh, Timo Werner, the, the name that up until probably a couple of months ago, most people, was, uh, well, it wasn't on most people's lips, should I say, but now it is actually. Um, it's looking like um, it's an ongoing issue at the moment, but I'm pretty certain at some point this week it would officially be announced. He will be unveiled as a Chelsea player because originally Liverpool were strong favourites to uh, get the signing of the uh, Leipzig uh, forward. Uh, he's overrated. Player, it has to be said. But <laughs> apparently, um, <laughs> yeah, Liverpool refused <laughs> to like, pay his uh, buyout clause, which is rather a lot of money. But there you are. I mean, that's that's what Liverpool say. I I I tend to uh, disagree with that. I, I mean, to me, I don't really think Liverpool 
do they really need uh, Timo Werner? I think the answer to quite simply would be no. But anyhow, Chelsea, who at the moment um, seem to be number one at the moment for transfer talk, transfer gossip, players that could well be on their radar. Certainly Timo Werner was, uh, Werner was one of those. Uh, it's rumoured to be uh, £200,000 a week, apparently, which is a very, very big uh, amount of money, even by Chelsea standards, it has to be said, true. £53 million. Pound. All right, you could, you could turn around and say he's never performed in the Premier League before. No, true. He, he's been around for a little while. He's slowly but surely made his mark in the Bundesliga. He is an immense talent. I think the only doubt would be, can he make the step up from the Bundesliga into the Premier League? I think that's always going to be the doubt of any any type of player like uh, Timo Werner. But certainly, that is the big transfer talk. Um, as I say, it's not officially a done deal, no. But <laughs> whether you, whatever you read, whether you read Chelsea's uh, side of it, whether you listen to Leipzig side of it, or whether you listen to anybody's media side of it, I would be amazed if probably in the next week he is not a, uh, you know, he, I, I would be amazed, should I say, that if he does not sign for Chelsea, because realistically, I can't see anybody else coming in for him. Chelsea are firm favourites, and I'm pretty certain he will very soon put pen to paper. And, uh, you know, it, it could be a very, very good signing for Chelsea, has to be said, definitely. Yeah, and I think... Uh, anyone who's listening should go to thebigkickoff.com. Neil Dobbs wrote about today how to spend a billionaire's money. And uh, Timo Werner <laughs> is part of that money. So, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a done deal bar and some miraculous move from Jurgen Klopp, which I don't see. Nathan? I've seen a couple of reports during the week. Uh, first of all, I've seen one, one of them doing the rounds. And I was like, no, nah, there's nothing to that. But then I've seen this popping up over and over and over again. And it's uh, Matt Longstaff could be set to leave Newcastle yeah. the Italian side Udinese it's one that interests me to be honest with you like himself and his brother Sean obviously playing in the midfield for Newcastle now at the moment but yeah Matt could be set to leave when his contract is up at the end of the season he go off to the Serie A side um, yeah, I believe the two in Ireland are getting too happy about it I heard Alan Shearer talking about it something that's Mike, Mike Ashley's again under his reign yeah. where a player who is a big player for the team uh, playing in the centre midfield has scored a winner against Manchester United yeah, and it's on £750 uh, a week and now it looks like he's going to go on the cheap they might get something like 450000 for him uh, because obviously he uh, he's a, a young a, a young man and uh, Newcastle brought him up through the ranks but I think they offered him a new deal of 15,000 yeah. and Udinese are looking to double that. Is that right? Yeah, I believe that the deal that Udinese are offering has gone up to 30 grand a week, which it's 30 times to what he's on now. Like, you know, so you can understand why the young lad's head is torn. Personally, I think it's a bad move for the lad. Like you yeah. said, like he is getting play. It's not like he's on the fringes of the team. He's getting plenty of game time in Newcastle. And, on the yeah. one hand, on the one hand, I suppose if you look a little bit into the future, if these new owners come in, he's definitely going to be gone. He's going to be in the background, and they're going to bring in star people, and yeah. he could disappear. So I suppose maybe it's there's a bit of that a thought in that that will I go and get double me money and maybe get more game time, or stay here get me more money but not as much, and then the big stars will come in and I'll just sit in the background. 
I think it all depends on on how much the lad fancies himself. Really, like if he fancies yeah, himself yeah. as a top player, he could say, "Well, look, we have these new owners coming in. I fancy myself here. I can hold me on. I'm well yeah. capable of doing this." So that could be in the lad's mind too. But at the moment, yeah, I think while the regime at Newcastle is the way it is, I think it's the best place for the lad. And plus, yeah. we already talked about this last week with the Jeff Hendricks uh, transfer. Like, Syria A isn't what it was. And especially Udinese. Like, they're 14th now. They're three points off the drop. It's not like it's a big magic meal for the lad, you know? Like, surely, that, like, if he hung on another year or two, kept his performances up, there'll be a bigger move to help him. Yeah, yeah. No, that'll be an interesting one to see what happens. And it'd be interesting to see how quickly this Newcastle takeover either happens or doesn't happen. Because I think if he is, if it doesn't happen, he may very well leave uh, like a hot snot, I suppose. Dave, any transfer talk? Yeah, we had a little chat earlier and it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird one over the last week or two. And obviously, as you've said now, with the potential new window. And it was more kind of once Werner looked pretty much done and dusted to Chelsea, obviously... Uh, Jurgen Klopp spoke to Sky Germany the other day and it was interesting and it's kind of like trying to pick holes at where the hell are Liverpool going to go. It was interesting. Like, if you take away a pinch of salt, it sounds like the right way and the sensible way to run a club or is he just on the party line? But he said, which I found interesting, so he said he was a great player and that there are a lot of great players in the planet. Timo Werner is a great player. Kai Havertz is a great player, which is interesting that you mentioned him because obviously they're heavily rumoured with himself as well. But he said it's the right, it's about the right time and the right opportunity. Everything has to come together. Six or seven weeks ago, we didn't even know if we could play again this year. Um, if we hadn't played the second half of the season, would we have thought, okay, when can you really play football again? And now it starts straight away. We act as if everything is already settled. It's not settled. We use this little loophole. We've been left to play football again. Everything else we have to see. Uh, everything else we have to see the moment that happens. We can't pretend now that everything is going to be fine in the future. Uh, and then the last bit. So it, it's it's very interesting where he's coming from, and very much in. Is it right that we spend fifty million on somebody, and we were talking about laying off? people are potentially laying off people's wages and furlough wages. Is it right that we go off and spend this amount of money? And I'm kind of going, it's not language you expect from a manager. So it was just, I'm not necessarily saying, isn't it great or isn't it wonderful? It's just, I just found it strange to hear from a manager. It's like, where, where are Liverpool going or what are they thinking? Or is it just like you always think sceptical? Is this a play for potentially, look, we're not going to overspend and people aren't going to take us for a ride? You know, I don't know. I don't know where to go. I just found it a bit strange and some of the language he used. Is it? Do you do you feel that they haven't got anything ready? That they that maybe Vermeer was the one and only one that they were looking at, and maybe they were convinced that they were going to get him, and now everything's up in the air. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe it's just his way of saying we're not panicking now, so don't think if we're coming for a striker. You can put 10 or 20 million on it like you would, uh, depending on the club or the situation. Look at last year when United were struggling a bit and the money that people were, the fees that they were going to have to pay were crazy. It could be just a ploy to kind of say, look, we're, we're watching the situation. We're nice and relaxed. We're not going to overpay. We're going to, I don't know. I don't know. I do, personally, as a fan, I just hope there is peat bodies coming in. I hope there is just to keep things fresh, to keep things competitive. 
like the front three for a start. I was looking forward to Werner potentially coming in just to make it a bit interesting and not make it so straightforward as the front three at all times. He's an up-and-coming player. He's going to want game time and it'd be good, healthy competition. I think all aspects of every team needs a bit of competition. And that's the only fear I'd have about Liverpool, that their potential complacency if there isn't kind of some real competition. Like Origi's a squad player. There's no two ways about it. Uh, Shakiri's a squad player. End of story. You know, uh, Rian Brewster was sent on, on loan. So Berner coming in, it's like, yeah, he, he could potentially try and bully his way in. So I hope there's somebody there in the background. But I just found it, is it just language to try and put clubs off up in the price? That's that's the question. Yeah, very possible. Very possible. And if there was anyone to trust, you'd be trusting Jurgen Klopp. So I don't think there'd be too much panic at the moment. And by the way, his bedtime story. Go on. His bedtime story was brilliant. Oh, who was it? Did it, did it put you to sleep or were you yeah, excited for more? It just put me to sleep happy. You know? <laughs> Such a soothing voice. Uh, Jose Mourinho has tasked Tottenham with signing Wolves midfielder Ruben Neves, who I think is an absolutely excellent player. Mm. According to Leten Sport, Neves is 23 years old and Mourinho has long admired the Portuguese player. He has three more years in his contract. And alongside this, there's talk of Raul Jimenez could be lost to Manchester United. So, Peter, is this a big year? Do Wolves need to be careful that they don't lose players and end up in a season or two being one of those teams that are struggling to stay up? Yeah, I think you're right, Roy. And of course, second season syndrome, isn't it? As well, that's what you've got to remember also. Um, but yes, I think you're right. I mean, Wolves have got some talented players. Understandably so. There's going to be people after uh, quite a few of them, which obviously goes without saying. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, look, it, again, this is down to the owners, well, I think, more than anything. If, you, if they want to be competitive in this Premier League, yet again, uh, next season <laughs> in particular... Yes, they're going to have to make sure that they do hold on to to these uh, talented players without, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, <clears throat> assuming they've got the money, of course. Obviously, that remains to be seen. But the priority has got to be yes, because uh, you know Wolves have done very, very well. It has to be said. Um, they, they've, they've taken a lot of people by surprise. Uh, it goes again. There's another good point there as well. I mean, a lot of people weren't expecting them to do exceptionally well but this season to their credit they've certainly held their own and done remarkably well uh, they've, they've got a very good manager as well also uh, yeah I mean really they've got everything there they've got the fan base as well that's what you've got to remember which is another key issue of uh, of the premier side there so yes I think that goes without saying uh, the priority is hold on to your talented players under no circumstances get rid of them definitely yeah, and they have the money, so they should be able to keep them as long yeah. as they're able to produce out on the pitch. Nathan Neves, Ruben Neves, would he be a good fit for Spurs? I think he would, yeah. I'd, um, he seems like a type of player that's slot in there well. I do have a couple of decent midfielders at the moment, but from what we're seeing at Wolves, like, he's a very creative player. Like, like still in 23, I didn't know he was that young. There's still a plenty yeah. of time, plenty of, like, of time left in him. And he's like, yeah, super technical player. Like, that would um, probably really suit the Jose Mourinho style of playing too, you know? Because yeah, he is, yeah. like, he isn't afraid of getting back and doing some dog walk either, which we have seen, especially this season. So, yeah, I think it would be uh, a good move and a smart move. And I'm surprised yeah. that, um, I'm surprised if, if he'd be the only one to leave Wolves because there's um, 
there's a lot of good players there that could that could move on if he wants to definitely. Yeah, yeah, it may be it may be a big summer for Wolves to try and get people so. in to keep those other players there. I think I think so, yeah, because like the likes of uh, Matt yeah. Doherty, Patricio, and Goal, uh, like them two lads could easily move on too, like two very good players. Jimenez as well. Jimenez too, yeah. yeah. I'd, like as a United fan, I'd love to see him come to the club. I think he's an excellent player. Yeah. Uh, new government measures for a return of Irish sport were welcomed by most this week. Guidelines for, and especially the, the schoolboys and grassroots football, guidelines for group training up to 15 people, albeit with social distancing and an individual training regime. Uh, of course, it says in, this, in the, the seminar that was on, it said, it was clearly stated that this morning that no insurance company will insure anyone from catching COVID-19 disease, and this also applies for referees. So therefore, the current insurance policy is suspended. You are directed not to participate in any type of football from a refereeing point of view until proper guidelines, protocols and procedures are put in place. All would be advised when this is achieved. A number of referees will not go back until a vaccine is found. There's also been discussion on spectators, change of facilities, referees room, and this is simply not going to be going back and playing football. That could be a big problem, couldn't it? Massive. Like, massive. Can I just ask you a quick question? Is there been a date set for when leagues can actually come back and start playing, or is it just they can come back and train? So, at the moment, it is the 15th of June, for the guidelines that I just gave you, the 20th of July, which is being reviewed now because of the sort of things being pushed forward. 20th of July is when you can have group sessions, contact contact sort of sessions. And then in August, was it August? No, near the start of September, then they were going to start again. Yeah, I think so, in the DDSL um, statement, it was the 12th of September. was the proposed okay, date for lakes. Yeah, now that's all, all could be changed. But referees, if you think about it, Dave, a lot of the referees are of uh, an older age, if you want to call it. Yeah. You know, so a lot of these referees would be worried. Of course they would. And it's kind of, and it's not their full-time job, it's their bit on the side. But it's an important yeah. bit on their side to kind of help kind of beef up the money that they have for, for, for life. So it's kind of, there'll be one or two who'll be concerned for their own health, but then there'll be one or two who are like, yeah, I really need to kind of get this extra income by missing out on. So, um, yeah, it's, it's another stereotypical, not everyone's on the same page. And why weren't these brought into the, to the talk so everyone could kind of kind of put out their issues and the insurance crowds are getting involved and they're going no we're not signing off on this and that's that's everything money it, it just goes to show you at all levels it's about money you know yeah yeah uh, i think there's listen there's going to be plenty of people who get covid between now and christmas mm. so mm. you're either going to get it or you're not going to get it. it's up to you whether you want to be hiding the house or, or get out there so uh, it is a big call for you uh, Peter, over in England, grassroots football or grassroots sports, is there any sort of protocols, any guidelines for UK grassroots well, sports? As it, as it stands at the moment, Roy, football is the main one, so I'll comment on that. Basically, people can now play football individually with your family or others living in the same household. You can do football <laughs> training, this is great, this, or fitness activities in groups of no more than six. As long as, of course, you have social distancing, keeping 
two metres apart. Now, football coaches were obviously understandably saying, well, how do we fall into this category? What is the position with us? Well, basically, football coaches, as it stands at the moment, they can undertake small group sessions up to a maximum of six with, of course, social distancing, understandably, but you must follow the FA safeguarding policy, which basically is virtually similar as what I've just explained to you as well. So in one hand, it's basically pleased a lot of football coaches, but their argument, understandably, is, well, it's very awkward to coach just a maximum of six people. Um, I think, was it Dave or Nathan, I can't remember who it was, turned around and said, you know, coaches are going to have groups of a lot more than six, understandably so. So what do you do? Do, do yeah. you split them into different sessions um, <laughs> as well? Uh, that has to come into it. Or do you just turn around and say, I can do six today, or I can only do six next week, or whatever the case may be. Or do you sort of, not saying that they would, of course, but <laughs> do you slightly bend the rules and say, oh, a couple more won't make any difference, will it? I mean, who's going to physically come along? And stand there and start counting as such as well not that i'm saying a lot of coaches will do that of course but we'll have to wait and see so yeah uh, roy it is rather confusing because week by week here in england uh, the lockdown rules for sport in particular keep changing uh, basically <laughs> the goalposts so to speak keep getting moved all the time and it's very very difficult understandably for all organizations i mean i'm talking about grassroots football I could talk about grassroots sports in general uh, because they're all governed by different guidelines more than anything. You know, certain things like swimming, um, rugby at the moment in particular. I mean, th th that's a very interesting point with rugby. I mean, you know, <laughs> at the moment, grassroots rugby, people are still hanging around waiting for some definite answer as to how or what the procedure is going to be in the next few weeks. Nothing's been said about that. You know, I'm talking about swimming, yeah. I'm talking hockey, all sorts of sports. It's, it's very, very confusing for everybody concerned, including, to be fair, football as well. Yeah. And just, I know this is slightly political, but from, from the Irish side, it, it looks very much like the English government are winging it. When it comes to sports but just generally on everything and there doesn't seem to be much leadership would that be seen to be the case yeah 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 definitely roy <laughs> you know uh, spot on you know terrific call i think you're right uh, and, and this is the problem uh, there is no real leadership no and as i say everything keeps getting changed you know every every couple of days things start getting changed um and people at the moment just do not know from week to week what procedures are what is the correct procedure uh if they start implementing things that's fine and then all of a sudden that starts getting changed it's it's it's, it's confusing for everybody all around to be fair and as i say if you're a sports coach or you're a sporting organization i certainly wouldn't want to be in their shoes at this moment in time because it is extremely difficult communicating with the sources that we have here in this country and trying to get some uh, definitive and definite way forward for a huge amount of sports in this country. Okay, Peter, we'll stay with you. The Basketball League in the UK has been cancelled and the BBL have been torn down for a £1 million bailout by the government and there are a few happy camp unhappy campers, I should say. Tell us why. 
Well, yeah, I mean, um, okay, um, to their credit, uh, the BBL, the British Basketball, did their best to try and complete the season. It was always going to be very, very doubtful that that would be the case due to the fact of, obviously, a lot of these uh, basketball teams that we have currently in our country here in England, as regards uh, the ownership, they don't own their own venues. They have to play out of uh, sports halls, etc. And, of course, at the moment, for obvious reasons, uh, you wouldn't be able to play any sport in any form of a, of a sports hall, unfortunately. So, therefore, it was inevitable that was going to happen. The problem is, in particular, with the BBL, the British Basketball, they haven't got a major sponsor. In fact, they haven't really got any form of TV sponsorship as such. All clubs in the BBL have to rely not just on finances from crowds, they have to rely on sponsorship in particular. Now, there's a few big clubs in the uh, British Basketball League at the moment who admittedly have got slightly more money than, shall we say, the smaller ones. But at the end of the day, even they are going to be in trouble as well because, as you quite rightly say, uh, the government refused to provide a bailout of just one million pounds now when you consider all sports in this country have been going to the government concern and asking understandably so for a bailout whether you're a big sport minority sport uh, or whatever that's beside the point but you know a million pound is nothing when you consider that basketball as a, as a participation sport in this country in england Incredibly enough, it's the second most played sport, okay? Now, watching-wise, the very, very good attendances for all the British Basketball League teams up and down the country as well, that has to be said. And as I say, you know, to try and get a million pounds, uh, I mean, yeah, all right, a million pounds to some people sounds a lot of money, but in the sporting world that we are in at the moment, trust me, a million pounds is peanuts it really is uh, literally and of course the poor bbl were not back on this one million pound uh, actual uh, bailout because if they would have been successful and got that i generally feel that that would have eased the pressure on not just a couple of clubs all of the clubs in particular because you know a million pounds spread between about 10 clubs yeah, a few hundred thousand each. Again, in Premier League terms, Championship EFL terms, that's nothing. No, I know, I appreciate that. But in basketball terms, it's a lifeline. And without this sort of money, uh, believe you me, these clubs are, are already appealing to their fans to really help them out. Because without the, the wonderful fan support that they've got, without the finances that those fans can actually plough back into the club, clubs concerned to keep them going there's a genuine fear that come the next season as of when that starts at some point in the autumn hopefully there could well be a couple of clubs possibly more who unfortunately would have to fold which would be awfully bad news for the communities concerned as well and of course even more so for the sport in particular so that really really could happen and you know you sit down i mean rugby league uh, they were bowed out to £16 million. I mean, yeah, rugby league in this country is extremely popular. They've got some big clubs as well, true. So £16 million, absolutely fine, according to the, the government concern. But just for the sake of £1 million that could really help this very, very popular, not just participating in the sport of basketball, but actually watching it 
and eventually I think could well get a TV company to do some sponsorship and cover the sport in particular, that really would have helped them immensely. But at the moment, I'm afraid basketball in this country in particular is completely and utterly up in the air at the moment. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of clubs, a lot of sports around not only Ireland and the UK, but throughout the world that are going to find it difficult. And I think at these stages, it's definitely up to governments to make sure that the the clubs that people have built need to be saved and kept alive. I mean, they're so important to the communities. And as you said, a million pounds in the whole grand scheme of things is, is not a lot. And each and every sport should be looked out for. So it'd be interesting to see how that turns out, Peter. Yeah, Nathan, all the four League of Ireland teams started back training today. Uh, can you tell us that about it? Yeah, it's like we're just talking about another situation that's open the air, but this is um, this is a positive step with Dundalk, Shamrock Rovers, Bohemians and Derry City, I just said, all returned to train this morning ahead of this uh, pilot tournament that is due to take place uh, in the summer. Another good bit of news was that the latest rounds of testing all came back negative. So it's all a good sign, pointing hopefully in the right direction to get the League of Ireland back probably by the end of the summer. But in terms of everybody else, the FBI is trying to put a return to training uh, protocol procedure. Uh, his choice said that four times quick. <laughs> trying to put that into place uh, for everybody else to return to training in groups of up to 15 people. Um, but at the moment, the target date for that is the 15th of June. So hopefully that will be looked at. But while looking to learn more, the FBI have said that they will make detailed announcements later this week possibly Thursday so hopefully we'll have much more uh, for next week to get a teeth into but for now yeah it's um, it's, uh, it's a real positive sign with the four teams that's going back to training and the latest batch of testing all come back negative so yeah, yeah. hopefully but um, the re- obviously the plan that the strongly hinted plan is that the league will return at the end of the summer behind closed doors but again you have to look at the viability of that don't you wait like that's some clothes going to survive without that gate receipt coming in. And even over here in Ireland, like your TV deals aren't as strong as that, that uh, scoring of, of, that, of that nature. So it'd be great to see a return, but the viability factor of behind closed doors is it's one that saves going to have to be looked at. Yeah, and Nathan, uh, we have heard absolutely nothing about It's all been Premier Division. We've heard nothing about the First Division. I did see an article there the other day which I have a screenshot here of, and I can't remember if it was the mirror or the sun, uh, more than likely the mirror, because I'm not a fan of the sun. Uh, It is thought unlikely the first division will return, and if it does, there will be no promotion on account of there being no relegation from the top flight. Again, is this just another case where the first division just kicked to the side and, and there's no real interest in it? Like the whole league is an afterthought on the FEI, but the first division is the afterthought of the afterthought. Yeah. And like that has that has to return. Like that'll be surely that'll be catastrophic for certain teams if they just have no income whatsoever coming in for the next foreseeable future. Like, yeah, like it's nearly it's be, nearly like, a year because they won't be going yeah. back till till uh, February and the league will like, start in March or Feb- end of February. So it's a long time to have n- nothing coming in whatsoever. 
especially, especially for these clubs. clubs. And the FAI yeah. are going to have to come up with something, Nathan, aren't they? Because it's not it's not acceptable enough for clubs to be struggling and you know going through this on their own. It's not just up to the government here. The FAI need to step up and negotiate, even if it is with the government, to help these clubs out because. As as with the basketball over in England that that Peter was talking about, there are people who rely on their football clubs for their peace of mind, for their mental health, even if you want to go down really? that road, because it's something to look forward to. You know, people come home from work; it's something to look forward to. I mean, that's yeah. why it's, there's been such a big call in the Premier League to come back because people revolve their lives around it. You know, so it is a big call and. Uh, we haven't heard enough from the FAI and we haven't heard no. enough from the government, have we? And, and especially with the FAI, that's been, that's just been the way it has, things have been with them, with a lot of these issues, is radio silence. And it's just not good enough. And it's not just the fans, like, just jumping, like, on, oh, you all hate the FAI. These are the reasons why we don't like, like, that it's so unlike around the League of Ireland community. That, like, it's radio silence. There's no help for these, especially these Australians. So the fourth division not coming back would be a disaster. But most of them clubs, a lot of them do have financial issues. And like I said, like even for the fan base, like even for me personally, like the league of like that's what gets you through the week, some weeks, you know. There's oh, it doesn't matter Friday night, go down, see the boys, have a bit of laugh, watch the game, and like it's a social aspect. It's not just a game of football to people. Yeah. Like people always laugh and say, Oh, League of Ireland, like what had you going there? It's like it just it's such a big aspect of a lot of people's lives and it's such an aspect of a lot of communities. Like you have small towns around Ireland that this football team is where everybody flocks and where everybody goes there. And to see one of these teams drop out because of this and because of the lack of help, like financial help being given by the FAI would be, be very sad to see. It really would be. Yeah, well, they call it the new FAI. You wrote an article about it before, about yeah. the struggles that are still there. Again, on the bigkickoff.com, have a look at, at, at some of Nathan's articles which are uh, are excellent but they really need to start showing that they're a new FAI because at the moment there's been a few little sort of positives promotional positives it seems to be it doesn't seem to be it seems to be PR at the moment and they really need to get their finger out and start showing that they mean business so uh, a little bit of breaking news here Dave, plans for a 7.7 million upgrade on Tallis Stadium has been passed by South Dublin County Council at a recent meeting. Tallis Stadium now will increase to 10,000 from 8,000. So a, a bit of good news. Again, but South, County Council, or South Dublin County Council are putting that money towards it. And I presume it's the fourth stand to make it. Fourth stand, the north stand, yeah. But um, yeah, listen... Uh, if take the COVID-19 out of it at the moment, it would have been more than enough because uh, as we know over the last year or so, the game has slowly been picking up on attendance. The big games are starting to get near sellout at this stage, especially the, the Bowles Rovers derby over the last couple of years, especially with Bowles coming back to the front. Um, I was at the, the last one and it was sold out. It was kind of, you could have easily got a few more thousand in. So it's come at the right time. Hopefully the fans come back. I expect them to come back. Um, but it's a positive because ultimately if all the clubs had top facilities like Rovers do you'd get that bit more coming into the into the grounds without a shadow of a doubt Yeah and Dave just on the, on, on the government again so there, there's South Dublin County Council putting 7.7 .7 million into yeah. stadium now I know that's not Shamrock Rovers stadium even though it's their home and, yeah. and, and it will be their home but 
should the, the government not be football, soccer, if, if they'll call it, but football mm-hmm. is the biggest participated sport on the island. And mm-hmm. there should be more money put into these clubs. Yeah. There should be more money put into the infrastructure in the club. And, and I know and there's it, a little bit of bias here, but a lot of money goes into the, to the GAA and yeah. nothing yeah. against that. That is fine. But they need to start matching that money with football clubs yeah. around the country. Uh, no, I'd have to agree. And I know we're going to see it with Daly Park as well. It's going to be council-owned and it's going to go with the same model as, say, Rovers. But that could be the case study and that could be where the FAI get involved with different councils and say, right, we, what's the crack? Where can we look to in Cork? Can we do it where it's near the city and maybe Cove could use it in ground share and then both clubs have a top-class facility? Then do they look in the Midlands and have a look towards Athlone and then they look towards the West and talk to the the various councils of some of the big clubs and say, right, we want to get involved, we want to help. Um, obviously, they take control of the land or whatever, but we can provide the facilities and then, you know, we give you next to no rent, but at the same time, we both make money. Um, it's the leading light, in my opinion, of how facilities should be for all the clubs. And maybe that's where the FEI need to get involved and talk to more councils of their different areas and say, listen, what can we do? Is there is have you got land? Or do you want, is there a way of the clubs giving up potentially their land and saying, right, here's what we can do over a hundred yearly? I don't know. I don't know what the way it works. It's like, for example, up in Oriel Park, Dundalk, uh, the owners of which we know have plenty of money. They don't want to um, put the money into the ground because they don't own it. Um, so that's probably where the FEI need to get involved. Is there a way that do they move away from Orioles so that they can give them somewhere where they can really give it the facilities it deserves? Because that's another big club who should be having seven or 8,000, but you're not getting them because it's a small, very dilapidated stadium. So, you know, maybe this is where Noel can use his, Noel Quinn can use his uh, poll and, and talk to the right people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Peter, any stories there to finish off? Yeah, well, I think the, <laughs> the one that I've really enjoyed this week uh, is um, BT Sports coverage of the Bundesliga. Well, up until recently, it's obviously been um, behind closed doors, understandably, no fans, complete silence, which I'll be honest with you, I, I, I sort of adjusted to it and I, I was quite happy with it, actually, to be honest with you. But for the first time last weekend, they are now using enhanced sounds, which has come from the uh, German broadcasting company. And to be honest with you, it does make a difference. Yeah, uh, okay, perhaps the only slight annoying factor is that it's constantly for 90 minutes. <laughs> um, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, I can understand them putting fan sand in and enhanced sound, etc. But even even in the most boring game, you can't really have it for 90 minutes. Sometimes I feel perhaps have a little bit of a break, yes. But the answer is it does make a big difference. And I think the Premier League are talking about putting this in, which I think will work. But my only slight point will be, as I say, you know, do we have to constantly have it from the start of the game right the way through to the end of the game? You know, have a little bit of break in between. But fair play to BT for actually deciding to go with the uh, uh, German TV company's idea. I mean, BT have said, incidentally, that this is just an experiment because obviously they want to try and get things right for when they start their uh, Premier League matches in a couple of weeks' time live on the, on the channel. And, um, uh, you know, to be fair, to a point, I think they've got it right. But my only slight gripe, as I say, is um, a little bit less, not 90 minutes, just a few minutes off, 
and I'll be happy with it. But it's certainly better than having no sound whatsoever. Yeah. 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 Nathan, what's your thoughts on that? Um. Yeah. It's a bit overwhelming for the whole ninety minutes. Like I think. Like make it a bit more natural, like you would in a normal game. Have like you know your your peaks and troughs, and you not torn it down, but mute it down. Jordan, there's no twenty minute mark to half an hour mark and raise back up again. But now it does because like the radio silence in the stadium, it can be a bit jarring at times, you know. Yeah. yeah. Really, like it's, I want to find yourself sort of like drifting out of games. Like it's yeah. hard to sort of keep that focus. I just like I don't know if that's just me, but a lot of like just a match just taking place, you know, and or anything. I do yeah. find myself much more just losing focus than anything else. Yeah, Dave, go on. We were talking about this earlier, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Uh, the, without sound, uh, I would drift away as well. And to be honest, even when <laughs> there's so much football before all this, I was drifting away because I was watching too much football. <laughs> but uh, no, I think you're dead right. And I did find it a little bit more, it kept me interested a bit more. But as we were saying earlier on, like, do you kind of get somebody in from the club who's almost like a DJ who has different sound points that when they're getting close to goal, do they up the volume? Then do they lower it back down again? Can they bring in the use and the as of when there's a near shot or a, or, a, or a goal? I don't know how advanced they can get, but it's a positive move. Obviously, like everything else, it's, it's a suck it and see. And I think it's a thumbs up, but obviously if they can really kind of make it realistic, I think we're pushing it a little bit, but it definitely made it a little bit more interesting for me on Saturday when I watched the, the Bayern game compared to, because there was a game on um, at the same time on the BT Sport 2 and they hadn't got it. And, you know, of, as I said, no crowd to compare to the crowd noise. It was a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we can all agree that it's it's definitely helped us. We're a bit of a finicky bunch, and we want perfection straight away. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Nathan, what have you got there? Uh, I have two quick little stories, actually, if you don't mind. Yeah. I have one, one a bit more serious and one a bit more back. Uh, while we're on the topic of the League of Ireland, uh, current manager Anna, uh, Alan Reynolds looks at the uh, Labour's position as manager of Waterford. He looks to be heading to Dundalk as the assistant manager. Uh, if a part of be lived, yeah. he's going to go in and replace uh, Rory Higgins, who took a position with the FEI recently. So, yeah, that'd be a big move for, for Reynolds. Grand um, one, because he's very, like he's not famous, but he's experienced enough in the league and he's a good manager. I really like him. When the past position came free and um, Harry Kenny left, he was one of the people that personally I would have liked to go step into the job. Yeah. But you can understand why he's doing it. Yeah, now like take a seat at the top table with him, Doc, and sure he'd be he'd be well financially looked after, and there'll be none of the hassle that he's currently going through uh, down in Waterford with the owner Lee Power and everything. So you can yeah. see why it's happening, you know. Um, yeah, so, so one is just a bit more uh, jokey when we're on the, the um, on the topic of UFC earlier, um, the whole they were mentioned fight Ireland for a while. Dana Roy said that he wants to hold all these events on this place called Fight Ireland. They released all the T-shirts with like palm trees and beaches. So we all had in our heads, fans collectively, that it was just going to be a cage, uh, just sand, palm trees, like something with more canvas, something else cast away. But disappointingly enough, it's not. It's on a Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi. It's where a UFC two forty was held. So it's gonna yeah, it's it's gonna be held in an actual arena with seats, not um not in a set of castaway, which it disappointed me and it disappointed a lot of people, I think. But <laughs> it is, a few Wilson's in the crowd. A few Wilson's in the crowd, yeah, with a just a 
There's one of them lad is Tom Hanks flying around. But uh, yeah. no, yeah, disappointing. It wasn't what I was hoping for, but it would have been nice a few a few bare grill challenges and. <laughs> You have to make yeah, your way to the ring. If you're not there in time, you lose something along there. Yeah. yeah. Quick drink, drink. What's it called? Just drink it before you go in. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, it's a shame. But I'm sure Dana Boy doesn't care what he can get away. So. No, no, he's too he'll worried. Get over quick he'll, get up, he'll get over quick enough, I'm sure. Don't be Dana when you listen to this. Justin Rose has announced he'll sponsor a new seven tournament series for the British women professionals. The first event of the Justin Rose Ladies Series will begin with a one-day tournament on June the 18th in Hampshire. Uh, while the schedule also includes Royal St. George's, which is also the Open in July. Each tournament will be played over one day, with the exception of the final, which takes place over two days. And of course, Sky Sports are going to have that. Rose is believed to be contributing in a region of 35,000 quid as prize money he said he felt compelled to step up and help the women's game. So, uh, at least someone's being proactive there. That's a, that's a good thing. Dave, have you got anything there? Uh, yeah, I'm just debating. You know, <laughs> do you want do you want to go there? Do you want do you not want to? But Come on, go uh, I'll, uh, very light. Uh, try and keep it very light and brief. But just with everything that's gone on in America and with the sad death of George Floyd and what have you. Sports stars are coming out and, and saying plenty of their piece. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, unfortunately, there's a divide. And if there's a there's an us and there's a them and, and, and there's a divide and conquer from the top, as, as, as we know with Trump, he's quite happy with there to be an us and a them. Instead of trying to quell the situation, he's almost stoking it. But um, the reason why I brought it up is because, as I said, sports stars are coming out and, and saying their bit. And now's the time to kind of, be inclusive and not be uh, divisive in my opinion and I was just a bit surprised with Joshua um, with his response to the video basically he was in a, a protest on in his local community on Saturday and he very and I've seen the video he pretty much just read out and that's all it was like like a best man would have very kind of meaningless read a piece of paper and passed it off and then went and started speaking about what he spoke about but in it, it was about boycotting kind of non-black kind of shops and this, that, and the other. And it was just purely a note. It wasn't his kind of view. Um, and then, of course, people edited it in a way that that's all you could hear. And, of course, everyone was outraged, which you could understand to a certain extent until you hear the whole story. Sorry, then did, did, the they, obviously... did, they, did they edit it to make it sound different? Or, I mean... No, they he, just kind of... Has, it, he, has he said, listen... Uh, boycott white shops go to your black that's shop. what was up he literally read a note it wasn't his view but it was kind of basically people started to cut the video where that's all you heard so of course if you didn't look into it or want to find out a bit more you could go geez aj that's bad form you know because you're only hearing that one or two let the senses and not kind of the and fact is that it, your, it wasn't is it your to point of view that that he's been hard done by in that instance, technically, yes, because he was there. The, the note was being passed around. He grabbed it and read it and then went on about what he wanted to talk about. Like I said, his tone and the way he said it was very much like, as I said, a best man reading uh, the people who can't be there, the cards. You know the way you hear them kind of sign them off who they are. It was very much just reading what he 
whether, whether we believe it was said in the note is irrelevant. It was what I found surprising. It was his response back to potential outrage thinking, why would you do that? I don't think it was very wise of him. He should have had a quick read of it first because he set himself up for a bit of a trap. And I'm sure his business people behind him would say, for your image and your brand, it's probably not ideal. You know, take a breather and have a read of it. But I thought his response back to the potential backlash from it was not ideal considering the situation. And once again, in my opinion, it's divisive. Instead of being inclusive and bringing us all together, it's creating an us against them again. And he basically said, I won't say the obvious word because we obviously know who it is, but it's short, sweet, statement. In fact, if you think of racist, go F yourself. So straight away, you're on the back foot going, what's he on about, you know? Yeah. If you watch the full video, the speech was passed around for someone to read, and I took the lead. I personally spoke from the heart about the Watford community ideas of us personally investing seven figures to create unity and opportunities and adding change to the African Caribbean community. Shops aren't the issue. Before you talk shit, you better boycott racism. I said what I said. I will act to make change. Very short and sweet. Probably one or two little nice things to, in it, but then there's a lot of. I think I think he personally should have come out with a bit more context. It's yeah. potentially flames on either side. You know what I mean? And that's is the problem not, I'm having with. Is it not foolish, Dave, to be yeah. reading something that you you supposedly I don't know allegedly didn't know what was on yeah. it just to read something out? I have 100%. I have said that I have the quote here. We need to be united in non-violent demonstrations. Show, show them where it hurts. Abstain from spending your money in their shops and in economies and invest in black-owned businesses. And that's yeah. for all communities. If you want to uplift yourselves, invest in your own business. So, of course, then people had put up then you, saying that he shouldn't, you shouldn't. He said that you should They were taken at his, as his quote. Yeah, as, as, as his quote. But then again, if you say it, is that not your quote? Uh, yes and no if you're just reading like like I said he should have read it he should have had a quick read He's, he, he should have known there's a couple of hundred video phones staring at him uh, a lot of people would have been all there for the same reason so they couldn't wait to hear what he had to say and he's being recorded he, yes. he very much was silly in my opinion and I still think he was silly in his response and like I said it was kind of potentially divisive and, and not inclusive again and there's Lewis Hamilton's same thing there's um, a road leading up to either the White House or where Abraham Lincoln is, and they have it painted in the, red, the yellow road paint, and it has Black Lives Matter, and it looks very impressive, and there's an aerial shot of it today, and he has it, and, and you can see the Black Lives Matter um, sign on the road, and it looks quite impressive, but the tweet, the, the caption he has with it is, and don't you forget it, you know, and you're kind of going, in my opinion, that's aggressive. Where's the bringing everyone together and trying to get everyone on the same side. Raheem Sterling was asked uh, uh, about the social distancing side of things in relation to the protests and should people be careful what they're doing and, and, and not be crowded together. And the first thing he says is the only disease right now is the racism that we're fighting. Straight away, there's going to be people who are going to disagree with that because they're going, well, there's over 40,000 dead in the UK and over 3,000 rewards are, are huge and you know straight away when I was looking into this I thought of the South African rugby captain Sia Kalosi straight away I, heard, I thought of him because straight after the World Cup uh, after they won one of the first things he said is look what happens when we come together and we wear the one jersey 
sticking his flag to just one side. He brought everyone together. And I think that's where sports people should not necessarily play it safe, but that's the message that all, in my, in my opinion, everyone in society needs to be taking, that we need to start coming together and not start to pick a side or be divisive, in my opinion. And I think some of the language that are used, they really need to think hard about it because if anything, it's potentially going to cause more problems than solve them. But it's, yeah. it, it's just very strange, in my opinion. You know? And as I said, just very briefly, um, Gary Lineker was in. He always has an opinion, as we all know. And, and it was a very interesting one where he made something. He didn't seem to have too much of an issue of the statue coming down in Bristol yesterday. But somebody made a point back to him on Twitter going, well, that's well, well and good, Gary, but are you going to be in the studios in Qatar in two years' time, considering modern slavery has gone on over there, building all the stadiums? Of course he is. And of course we're going to watch it. So if we're delighted that that statue came down, we also kind of have to have a bit of a, a moral obligation to have an issue with that World Cup because it's the same thing. So it's kind of like, in my opinion, we need to... They, I personally think they need to really. This is their chance to really make a difference, and and set set the tone and put the right language forward, and not necessarily pick a side, but pick each other. And and as I said, see Colosi came into my mind straight away when I started looking into this a bit more, and some of the words he said were more than impressive. Yeah, uh, just to quickly finish off on this, Peter, do sports stars have? Do they have a bit more responsibility in these situations than than? And regular folk, if you want to call them that. Well, yes, because um, sports stars to a lot of people are heroes, aren't they? They, they, they are their idols more than anything. And they go by their every word, don't they, as well? I think that's what you've got to remember. And I totally and utterly fully endorse what Dave was mentioning earlier as well. You know, to me, I think they should be trying to get everybody together, not just trying to keep to one side. No. And... I also agree with what Dave said about, um, um, you know, what, what he should have done was actually read the, the piece of paper first, Anthony Joshua, you know, instead of just opening it up, reading it and then thinking, well, well, I don't know if this is going to start causing any problems or not. You know, surely that's what he should have done. But anyhow, I mean, that's, you know, that was his choice and that's that. But I think, no, going back to your point, Roy, sports stars, yeah, all right, they're human beings. Yes, of course they are. Uh, we know that. But at the end of the day, as I say, people do look up to them. Whether you're a young person or an older person, you still look up to sports stars as well. And uh, I think, you know, they've got to be very, very careful. But sometimes sports stars, I think, just seem to think that they are different than the likes of you and me. I mean, yeah, okay, perhaps they are different because they've probably got more money than us. Yeah, I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, their beliefs and everything, Sometimes they've just got to, if anything, take a step back instead of just trying to open your mouth and start saying things. Always take one or two steps back, first of all, because at the end of the day, from time to time, certain things are going to start causing controversy. And if you start causing controversy, you, you might start causing controversy and upsetting one or two people, and that will then start growing. And I'm afraid in a lot of cases, it will always backfire on the person who originally said or pointed that out. And, and yeah. I think, in my honest opinion, they've got to be very, very careful. Yeah. No, uh, and again, I think most people are in agreement that what's happening over in America, i.e. Uh, the priest 
police brutality towards the the black community has gone on far too long and it's not just going on a couple of years it's going on decades and it's not a place that i'd like to be living at the moment um and it's not with, with a president that you wouldn't want to have leading your com- uh, your country when he is so, as Dave said, I suppose he's splitting the country down the middle and that's yeah. that's not a good thing. And I think Dave's right, Anthony Joshua absolutely could have made his point without being, I suppose, splitting everyone down the centre. And it's, 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 it's something that people really do need to be careful about what they're saying. But at the same time, speak about what they believe in. And uh, I think yeah. we're all behind that. Okay. We are going to finish it there. Uh, we will have, uh, we're only nine days away from the Premier League return. <laughs> so this time next week, we might do a little review on the games and uh, what we think might happen at the end of the season. Can Liverpool bottle it? Let's just a little, <laughs> little bit of hope. <laughs> I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk to you next week, lads. Take care, boys. Bye. 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 Bye.